Last year, going into the year, I was sort of like, well, I've had a lot of fun racing my mountain bike, and I think it's time to like maybe check out new things. I was just craving some different adventures, like whether that was just switching full into adventure mode, like having fun in the mountains, going backpacking all the time, riding my dirt bike more. But each sort of gravel race I did, I just had more and more fun doing it. It's just like we're on a five to nine hour group ride, which is pretty fun. I'm totally like having the most fun I've ever had racing my bike right now, which is really cool. It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. Yeah. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around yeah. once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we're talking about practice. They peed on the dude's run. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk like Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McAlvin. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm really excited to bring you today's conversation with Russell Finsterwald, um, a guy that I go way back with, way back to the junior mountain bike racing days. It's funny how much our lives have changed since then and kind of on that note, it occurred to me that a lot of the folks that are following the Grand Prix these days, following gravel racing, they may not necessarily know where these top mountain bikers are coming from. And it's been kind of funny to see uh, both competitors and the media and the fans, a lot of them just kind of be like, well, wait, who are these mountain bikers who are competing with and beating all these guys that are coming from the world tour? How, how can that be? Where did they come from? Well, I'm here to tell you that folks like Russell have been here for a long time, working really hard, and have been really good at bike racing for a long time. Uh, it's just been more on the mountain bike side of things. And even though I've competed with Russell for a long time, he's not necessarily someone who blasts all of his other interests out on the internet all the time. And so in the scheme of things, I realized I didn't know Russell super well either off the bike. And so it seemed high time to get to know him better rather than just you know, have him come on for 10 or 15 minutes for race recaps like he did after he won Big Sugar, do a full-length episode, get to know him off the bike as well as on. And the day that we recorded this was really, really fun because he invited me to go do one of his backcountry gravel rides in Tucson. Tucson's his second home now. He's bought a home down there, spends actually the majority of the year down there, um, and spends a huge amount of his spare time building these backcountry gravel routes utilizing roads that aren't even on the maps, linking together some really crazy, cool routes that typically no one else has traversed on a bike. So it was really cool to get a little taste of that over the course of five and a half hours before we recorded this conversation. I hope you get to know Russell a bit better and enjoy hearing from someone that has really become a staple of the Grand Prix, finishing top three overall, but um, has a really illustrious background mountain bike racing that others might not be as familiar with. I want to say a big thank you to One Up USA for supporting today's episode. One Up makes the bike rack uh, that we use every day at this point. It was super handy while we were down in Tucson the last couple of weeks. We love it for its durability. It's built with off-road use in mind. So if you're running shuttles or doing more backcountry missions, it's up to the task there. It has really strong construction, really high payload capacity, 
Uh, we went for their Super Duty double rack, which can carry up to 75 pounds per tray. And you can even throw a couple additional trays on there to make it a four bike bike rack, uh, which is very handy if you have friends come along, which we did this trip. Kate Courtney decided to drop in last minute, which was fun as well. One Up makes absolutely awesome equipment. It's 100% made in America, has a lifetime warranty. And comes with free shipping on orders over 500 and they have lots of different options depending on your vehicle you can go to oneup-usa.com to learn more thank you all so much for listening and we'll catch you after the show all right so we're here with finsty at long last this podcast has kind of been a long time coming um just in terms of I would say people that I've been around for the most number of years. It's kind of crazy that we haven't done one yet. So, or like a a full length one. Um, We've done some little post-race recap stuff, but this is like the who is Russell pod finally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're sitting in your house here in Tucson, mid-January, kind of in the thick of preseason training. Um, And uh, I'm pretty tired now (laughs) because we did a, did a pretty sweet Russell special ride today. Did the the Tucson shootout, which is a pretty famous... How long has that shootout been around, by the way? Like 20, 30 years, I want to say? Yeah, you know, to be honest, I don't know when it started. Um, but Ralph um, at the bike shop in town started it a long time ago. Um, I would honestly say closer to 40 years, even. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's an OG group ride. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so kind of a staple of your preseason prep. And it is for, for a lot of really good racers still to this day. Um, but we started with that, did the first, I don't know, 45 minutes of the ride or so, and then did it on gravel bikes, which was really hard. And <laughs> it then... was super hard to get on the gravel bike. <laughs> yeah. Just holding on for dear life. <laughs> 100%. And then took a right, and pretty quickly um, we were on dirt um, and did a super cool multi-surface, kind of like adventure gravel ride that even involved like shimmying down some dry washes, a little bit of hiking, um, and just linked up. It's like five and a half hour loop. That was super cool. Um, and we were going to record this yesterday, but, uh, you gave me a quick call and was like, Hey, I have this idea. It'd be cool to introduce you to some of the adventure gravel riding, um, that I've been doing. And I was super stoked because it's, I feel like in a couple of years, it's gotten kind of famous. Uh-huh, definitely. <laughs> um, you've, you've quickly like developed a reputation of kind of being the, the backcountry adventure bike guy, which is cool, especially in light of the fact that Tucson has this amazing bike culture. And then all of a sudden you're like introducing this new riding in a way. Um, so yeah, talk to me a little bit about how that interest came about. Cause you could have just done what everyone's always been doing, which is like Mount lemon and shootout and right, the various mountain like, bike rides and all that sort of thing. But you kind of went off in this different direction a couple of years ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, so last year the spirit tour was kind of my first really foray into gravel riding outside of the races. Um, never really spent much time on the gravel bike. Um, but I realized 2022 was going to kind of be the year, um, I was going to be racing a lot more gravel. So we set out with four other guys, Ryan Standish, Kerry Warner, and Keegan Swenson, and we did what we called the Spirit Tour, where we were just wanted to go find the spirit of gravel. Like, what is this thing? <laughs> How do we ride these bikes? Like, what can we take them on? What are they capable of? Like, I know a lot of people in gravel flat. What does it take to flat them? <laughs> so we just kind of wanted to learn all those things. And I was like, well, if we're going to go do this, let's build a sweet route. Um, 
and kind of just started looking around in southern Arizona and quickly realized there's just this plethora of roads down there, um, a lot of which are not on maps or anything. It's just kind of some old ranch roads in the area that'll end at a farmer's um, hay field or their water tanks. Um, so yeah, a lot of dead ends out there, but then I kind of realized, well, you can kind of use some washes and connect these different roads. And, um, yeah, then we set out on the spirit tour with our route in mind. Um, the first day we dropped into a wash. I think the boys were a little surprised to do a little bit of hiking. Um, but it was about a quarter mile. So it was nothing too big. Um, Keegan made it through in his road shoes just fine. <laughs> oh God, he was in road <laughs> shoes with the first one. Yeah, that says a lot right there. Yep. Um, this year we were all on mountain bike shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're quickly learning. Um, but yeah, we got into Aravaca the first night and I think we we're all just kind of like, whoa, this is, this is cool. This was, this was fun. Like we legitimately had a good time riding our gravel bikes and that was something I was kind of like, am I going to miss riding my mountain bike as much with all this gravel? And we just kind of discovered that like gravel riding sick and you can get that same thrill you get mountain biking um i really like to rip just double track roads that are tight and narrow and rocky and you're kind of jumping all over the place yeah um and there's so much of that down here which is pretty sick yeah so. yeah so the, i mean the route we did today was kind of like a classic from what i can tell like a, a classic version of that where it was pavement and then smoother dirt road and then we went up this pretty steep actually super steep like uh <laughs> Uh, radio tower access road um and for those that don't know tucson sits like around three thousand feet maybe a little under yeah 2500 2500 yeah and i don't know in like a half hour climb we were up right at six thousand or a little yeah. over six thousand feet crazy views everywhere um and then we just kind of went around the back side of the radio towers and dropped into this little single track and i was like holy <laughs> shit there's a single track up here um so kind of I sort of wanted to use like today's ride as a almost a little case study um, and have you describe like how like step by step you go through building one of these routes or even discovering that a zone might have uh-huh. potential. Because like, f- for example, finding that little sweet section of single track is a needle in a haystack out right. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, our Keystone Peaks a fairly popular gravel ride here. Um, but it's an out and back and I'm just a fan of a loop whenever. Do you not like the mics, AJ? <laughs> you can, we can kick him outside. That's funny. Russell, Russell's, uh, nation's number one Shiva, AJ is trying to join in on the audio action. He wants us to talk about him more. <laughs> so where we're, oh, yes. Keystone. Yeah. It's Keystone. So it's, Kind of a bit of an out and back, uh, typically. Um, anytime I can make a ride a loop, I'm a big fan of that. So just started digging around on the maps a little bit um, and found a route that kind of dropped off the north side of it. Went and rode it and went down the super gnarly downhill that I was not going to come back up, and it dead-ended at a no trespassing sign. Oh, God. Classic. Um, so I'm never an advocate for trespassing, but I was also not going back up that hill. So I was like, well, I'm going to do this, and went through... Got chased by some sheepdogs, uh, learned my lesson, and since then, um, when I'm route building, yeah, use resources like Onyx to find um, who owns private property. Make sure you avoid that or get permission from um, various ranchers, um, which I've found a lot of them to be very gracious and let you pass through as long as you're respectable. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's a lot of 
kind of go down a road that you see in the standard mode on Strava where it just shows all the different roads and stuff, but a lot of these aren't on maps. So eventually you have to switch to satellite mode and you're kind of just tracing different roads. A lot of them are dead ends. Like I think you saw today, like I imagine we passed 15 yeah. to 20 different roads. Totally. And a lot of those roads just go nowhere. Yeah. Um, so it's tracing all these different roads through there, seeing where they go. A lot of times you're like, oh crap, we went, found some private property. But then there's so many roads, you can find a way around it. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, yeah, just chasing a needle in a haystack. You kind of have this goal of where you want to go and then just kind of work your way through it. Um, yeah. It's pretty time consuming. Um, the ride we did today, I probably spent like eight to 10 hours on. Um, and at certain points it's like, oh, this just isn't gonna go anywhere. Um, Cause every road I've found that drops off Keystone, um, dead ends. Um, but there's a lot of roads that you can eventually get to. So like you saw today, we went through that wash. Um, that one, it's about a mile long, I would say. Yeah. Um, and the washes are fun. They're a mix. You never know what you're going to find in them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, bathtub we, today. Yeah, we had a bathtub <laughs> in one. Um, but yeah, there's, there was also the cattle trail in there. So you can, you can ride a surprisingly large amount of them. Like we probably only walked maybe 500 feet altogether, yeah. would you say? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, we were wrestling our bikes for a while through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of boulders you're going over, um, but it's cool, I love it. Um, I really like being in the mountains and just kind of feeling like you're alone out there. And that's sort of what I've discovered with this backcountry gravel is you're just on an adventure with nature. Um, I mean, we were staring at um, Babo Kovari the whole time, like you're just looking at that, like, man, this is so cool. Um, just having a good time. So that's sort of what I've, learn to discover or learn to love about this backcountry stuff is just being out by yourself and um it feels like you're on an adventure but we're still training for what our job is which is pretty sick yeah yeah, yeah it really <laughs> is for sure yeah and it was crazy how um just that little cattle track even though obviously cattle hoof marks like isn't the greatest riding surface they tamp it down just enough that even on a gravel bike you can get through pretty efficiently totally um, and it still just blows my mind what the bikes can do. Like they can take so much abuse. Yeah, totally. And there's something so fun. Like even though we grew up racing mountain bikes, there's something so fun about taking a drop bar, like rigid bike places that on paper you shouldn't. Right. But there's just something about it that's so fun where you have like, you, you realize as you're going pretty fast that you're about to be in kind of a sketchy situation and you have half a second to figure it out. Right. And you just trust your reflexes. and Like we totally should have been on a mountain bike for that yeah. descent. But yeah. it's fun because I'm on a 42 Pathfinder and we're just kind of sliding all over the place. We have yeah. 130 millimeter stems on our bike. And <laughs> yeah. it's cool because like we just went and ripped the shootout. Couldn't have done that on a mountain bike. No way. And so it's like this just perfect combination of getting to go places like we went far. We went 92 miles yeah. in five hours. We saw some sh stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, whereas on a mountain bike, maybe we would have only gone 40 or 50 yeah. in that time period. So just the amount of ground you can cover is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is such a wild sensation, too, to kind of look left and look right as you're hauling ass on one of these little two tracks and just see, like, cacti and rock. Right. And you're just flying across this yeah, terrain like, that you should not be able to move through that fast right it's pretty sweet it's yeah. its own um adrenaline rush <laughs> yeah definitely definitely um yeah let's talk about the spirit tour a little bit um it's it expanded this year six of y'all yeah um i was pretty stoked to see cody in there this year being roommates with him for a while and kind of watching his uh this is cody cup a good friend of ours um you know he's had 
definitely some solid success on the cross scene. Um, but it, it sounded pretty fun to like hear his own little personal journey as he got a taste <laughs> of this adventure riding too. Uh-huh. It sounds like he definitely got bit by the bug. Do you think this will be kind of a fixture for you moving forward, like preseason routine? I think so for sure. Like, I mean, we were out there for five days. We rode 35 hours. Um, it was like a 1600 TSS block. So <laughs> like it's, it's one heck of a training ride. Like we're throwing down out there. There's the, we race up Montezuma pass every year. Um, and then randomly just feel like going hard sometimes. So we hammer for a bit. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not like we're just out there cruising. It's a definitely like a training block and I don't think there's any cooler way to do a training block than five days of credit card touring. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I think it'll be a fixture for sure. Like, um, I want to keep doing it at least. So hopefully the other guys will keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how much responsibility do you feel for everyone else's well-being? Cause this is like, <laughs> this is your route. Yeah. Right? Like no one else is really yeah, taking the lead. And in, in a way they're just along for the ride. Yeah. They don't really know what they're <laughs> signing up for other than we're riding this far today. It's going to take about this long and yeah. Um, there will be no water stop, so bring all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, definitely a little bit of responsibility. Like, um, you're not always a hundred percent confident the route's going to go through. You don't really know what you're going to get into since we're riding a lot of new terrain. Um, this year we, there was supposed to be a road in one section and for about two or three miles, there was not a road. <laughs> um, so was, we were just kind of riding through the desert, which it, it was cool. Everyone um, had a good time, but at the same time, I was like, oh, sorry, there was supposed to be a road here. <laughs> but what they don't know doesn't kill them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But cool. Um, yeah, so you made one comment on the ride today that I thought was really interesting, which was basically that you, you'd sort of gotten out of uh, mountain bike racing, or at least U.S. mountain bike racing. You'd gotten out of it kind of what you could. And you were on a contract um, and you kind of, it sounds like in the back of your head, had maybe semi-decided or thought that you were just going to finish out the contract and then maybe be done with Mm -hmm. racing at this level. Um, And then sort of this whole gravel boom and um, your introduction to this new style of racing changed your mind, it sounds like. Can you... For sure talk about that a little bit yeah um so yeah last year um going into the year i was sort of like well i think i've like i've had a lot of fun racing my mountain bike and i think it's time to like maybe check out new things i was just craving some different adventures like whether that was racing in a different capacity or um just switching full into adventure mode like having fun in the mountains going backpacking all the time riding my dirt bike more um i was just kind of looking for some new adventure i guess um so i was like well I have a great opportunity with Specialized now. I'll race these two years, see what I can do, and um, I think I'll be satisfied by then. Um, and yeah, last year, back to the Spirit Tour, um, kind of started to realize like, man, you know, this this is cool. I think I can really get into this. And um, more and more throughout this past season, um, each sort of gravel race I did, I just had more and more fun doing it. I love the head-to-head racing, yeah. like mountain biking in a way, it's kind of like a time trial yeah. um, where you just go throttle yourself and see where you stack up with the rest. But um, I really love just like throwing down with everybody out there. It's just like we're on a five to nine hour group ride, which is pretty fun. I totally enjoy the racing now. Um, the training now like satisfies my quench for adventure, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I'm totally like having the most fun I've ever had racing my bike right now, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely more motivated than ever before too. Mm -hmm. Um, like these races are super competitive. Um, and I just want to keep stepping up in them. Um, so that I've also gotten that this past year, like I totally have a different fire under my belly right now, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And it's interesting too, the way these races play out where, um, it, I feel like a lot of us feel more motivated because there's, uh, there's more opportunity for success in a way, mm -hmm. kind of going back to what you were saying about mountain biking, like in mountain biking, we see, uh, I mean on the world cup with Nino or even in the States with like Keegan and Howie, um, it's easy for there to be a dominant force for a long time. Right. And if you're just always finishing like third, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever it is, if you spend five years doing that, it can, you know, that, that can get hard mentally. And I think that's one thing that people sort of overlook about mountain biking versus say traditional road cycling, where mm -hmm. depending on how the race plays out or like, even if you're not someone who gets an opportunity to go for some sort of road win, like you have a job, right. um, you have your own sort of like finish line and you can do your job well and get satisfaction out of that. Right. Like even if you're not winning, <clears throat> there's still things you can do where you're accomplishing your goals and like that feels good. Exactly. Yeah. But in mountain biking, it can be such a grind. And uh -huh. like for you and I being in the, the Howard and Keegan era and like right. racing whiskey every year and, we, you know, Leadville or like XC Nats. And um, we had a couple of years, I guess, both of us where we managed to pull off like a national title win which is cool uh -huh. but it's not like a once a year thing always or at least it hasn't been for me yep um and with gravel it seems like um like the the tactics come in to play and then also all the races are so diverse mm -hmm. that like it sort of opens up the door a little bit more right um and even though it's kind of funny because everyone was talking about how ridiculously dominant keegan was this year which is true but by the same token, I feel like we're all sort of used to that. A lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> and then to see, and then to see you like crack off that amazing ride at big sugar was just like so cool and motivating for, I think a bunch of the rest of us. Um, and just kind of being reminded, like even when someone has an absolutely insanely perfect year, like Keegan uh -huh. did with this style racing, like the opportunity is always there. Yeah. definitely. Um, which is super, super cool. Um, what have you changed about like all of that said like what have you changed about your preparation like whether it be the training aspect or you know looking into more of the detail oriented stuff to be successful or like whatever comes to mind have you adjusted much in in with these races in mind for sure i think that's the other neat thing about gravel is it's um changed a lot of things in my preparation for races um I'm riding my bike a lot more than I ever did. I'm probably riding like 150 hours more per year now, which is a pretty big jump. But yeah. um, it's like almost 10% or 10% maybe. Yeah, close to. Yeah. So, um, and that's been a lot of fun because I just like riding my bike. Tucson's a great place to do it. So um, that's been easy. Um, there's the other side where I think gravel racing is just getting to the finish line. So there's all this tinkering with the equipment and stuff, trying different things, and then um, just creating these redundancies in case this happens. Here, I'm able to fix it out on course. So you got to be prepared if you're going to do like a 200 mile race. Yeah. Um, and it's just a lot of fun, like figuring out what you're going to bring with you, um, how much food you need. The nutrition aspect of gravel racing is super important, especially because there's not a lot of aid stations or outside support at them. 
Um, so just dialing in all the um, stuff is really fun to me. It's kind of like a little puzzle for each mm -hmm. race. Um, in each race, you can kind of learn something like what went right here, what did I forget to bring, what would have been nice to have. Um, so maybe it's just because I'm pretty new to gravel, but every race seems like you're figuring out something different for that race, whether it's tire setup, what pressure to run, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, without giving away too many secrets, um, and we, we actually talked about this briefly in, in a previous podcast, but um, is there anything that comes to mind from Big Sugar, that, that race you won, that you feel like helped you be successful? Um, or was it just like that was your day and you were super strong and the way the race played out just helped? Yeah, um, I think obviously a lot of things clicked and went my way that day. Um, luck being one of them, Big Sugar's an easy one to flat on. So not flatting is super crucial if you want a result there. Yeah. Um, but I think for Big Sugar, a lot of it honestly was mindset more than anything. Mm. Um, I went into that race and was like, well, I really want to be on that lifetime podium. I need to win this thing and I'm not going to win it if I just sit in all day. Um, so I just raced it really aggressively. And, um, anytime I felt there was opportunity to use my mountain biker skills in some capacity, I, instead of chilling in the back being like, oh, sick, I'm recovering right now. It's like, nope, try to drop them right now. Um, nice. so I think a lot of it was really just mindset. Um, and I sort of like the weekend before I raced at Gravel Locos and sort of raced with that same mindset and um, tactic for the race and it treated me well there too. So I was like, well, there's a lot more big names here and um, it's just try it. And I think I learned a lot that day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, gathered a lot. And I think what I learned there will be fun to take to races moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that was, I was bummed not to be in that one, but just watching it unfold, like watching the Instagram stories unfold and then hearing everybody's take on it afterward. Like that was such a sick win. It sounded, <laughs> it yeah, sounded that was, so nice. Really. Honestly, I probably like, I mean, obviously it's always better when you win yeah. and I don't think this really would change if I didn't win, but that was probably one of the most fun days I had racing my bike. Cause, um, I mean like Keegan and I went in with the same tactic and like yeah. just thrown down with him. Like we, it was just a fun day of bike racing. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, we'll go, we'll come back to the Grand Prix in a minute, but just giving folks kind of more background about where you came from and, and your racing heritage. Um, you're in this phase right now where you're really, really enjoying racing. There's almost like this like new discovery phase. Like you're getting to learn a whole bunch of different tactical things and equipment choice and all that sort of thing. Like we've been talking about. Looking back at your career, which at the beginning obviously had a really heavy focus on cross country and then some kind of marathon stuff. Obviously, you had a lot of success at the Epic Ride series, that sort of thing. Um, is there a phase of your career looking back that was really hard where it just felt like for a year or multiple years where you were just kind of like grinding and... Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... <clears throat> If you wanted to be a mountain bike racer back in the day, you had to try to make it on the World Cup circuit. Um, and I that was my goal, that was my objective when I started racing mountain bikes professionally. Um, I was lucky enough to get put on the Subaru Gary Fisher team after winning Junior Nationals. Yeah. Um, so straight into Elite, started racing U23 World Cups. Um, quickly learned, like, man, it's tough. World Cups are 
Um, I mean, you've raced them. You yeah. you understand it. It's, yeah, I struggled. <laughs> yeah, they're they're completely different beasts. Um, yeah, and I don't know what it is like right now. Blevins is figuring it out. He's popping some good results. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, Keegan, I think his best World Cup result was a top just out just inside the top twenty, and he's one of the strongest guys in North America. I'd say. Yeah. Like this World Cup racing is just a different beast and. Um, I, I think I, it's safe to say I struggled in it for most of my career. I think like my best result was 34th in worlds, but other than that, it was like, I was battling for like 60th or 70th and all these elite world cups. And you're like, man, I can't make a career out of getting 60th or 70th. And then back home in North America, the Epic ride series really wasn't there yet. So it was like, well, you just have to keep doing this. Hmm. Um, interesting. So for a while, I think it was just nose to the grindstone, just keep trying and maybe one day it'll click. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then eventually the Epic ride series started to become pretty big with big prize money. And I was like, well, maybe you should try that a little bit and see if you have fun doing it. And I was pretty nervous. My first Epic rides, I was like three hour race. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy to think back on. Yeah. I remember feeling that way too. It's so funny. Carson city. Like there's like (laughs) 7,000 feet of climbing there. How are we going to do this? Yeah. Like I was pretty intimidated by it and then went and did it. Um, I think I finished, I don't remember what place. I know I was on the podium. And I was like, wow, okay, that was cool. That was a lot of fun. Turns out maybe I'm okay at this. Yeah. Um, and then started to realize, like, maybe more endurance stuff is better for me. Um, I raced a lot of cross countries, had a decent success, but I think I've been a lot more successful doing endurance stuff. It seems to suit my riding style and everything a lot better. I don't, I think VO2 is something i struggle with and that's basically what cross-country racing is yeah yeah totally (laughs) um especially when you're buried in the grid yeah where you're just starting 10th row yeah sprint past people stop sprint (laughs) yeah so yeah i think um right around i think i was about 25 when i started doing marathon type stuff and um raced that for a while really enjoyed it it was fun i miss i miss our epic ride series (laughs) yeah me too those are some good days yeah um but yeah, I'm really grateful for this opportunity you have right now with gravel in North America. So yeah, yeah, it's cool for sure. Yeah, that whole World Cup thing is so interesting. Like I'm still trying to figure it out in some ways, and I think a lot of it is just the structure of the race. Like like mm-hmm. we've talked about with the grid and how crucial the start is, and how you like it's especially for North Americans. It's so hard to to earn those points to move right. up start position and and we just don't have that sort of aggressive style of racing in the u.s really so you, like you go there and if you do six or seven world cups a year you're getting that experience but a lot slower than euros who are getting that week in and week out from the age of 15 really or yeah. even younger in some cases yeah so i think we're just kind of a little behind the ball and that makes it really hard to learn the, how these world cups shake out and what it takes to be at the top so yeah yeah it's tough (laughs) it is yeah and it's crazy too when you think about how um how high the the level of you know some of the racers in the in the gravel scene are now you know it's cool to see it's validating to see you know whether it's like nikki terpstra or some of these other incredibly successful world tour guys come over and actually be able to race with them effectively right um when you know for the early 20s of our lives we were just like man are we even meant to be 
Yeah, we weren't racers. We, we started with Nino, but we weren't really racing with Nino. <laughs> Although I will say, Russell, there was one year I remember at Sea Otter. I don't remember the year where you just had the most insane ride. And yeah. were you in a sprint finish with him? Um, or like... no, it was with Christoph Salzer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the ride of my life for sure. That day. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you were you probably you would have been like early twenty, like twenty. Yeah, just 24? out of your twenty three, so probably twenty four or twenty five. Yeah, and it was like old school sea otter so it was just stacked right not quite a world cup field but pretty close way more competitive than any other north american race Uh uh-huh um and i just remember like it was christoph sauser literally in the rainbow jersey yeah and then you were second and Uh i was just like holy fuck russell just had the (laughs) ride of his life yeah that was a good day i still don't know where that came from (laughs) i'll take it yeah for sure yeah um anyway so Back to present day. Um, it is, I'm just, I'm still thinking about the fact like Subaru Gary Fisher, that would have been JHK, Heather, who else was on? Sam Schultz. Sam Schultz, Willow Kerber. Yeah. Um, that was the team the first year. Crazy. Um, yeah. It was awesome. I learned a lot from those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Schultz was kind of, him and I always shared a room. So spent tons of time with Schultz. He's the man. Yep. Um, yeah definitely like so grateful for those four years i had with them i learned a lot um and they were just fun teammates like we had we had some good times (laughs) yeah and just to juxtapose that to the scene now where it's like a start line of two thousand three thousand people whatever it is Uh uh-huh super long it's just wild what what a difference like 10 years can make yeah it's pretty crazy like I remember when Enduro came on the scene. And that's yeah, like, everyone still... thought that was going to be the uh-huh. direction we had to go. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, yeah. man, I'm going to have to be an Enduro racing. Now we have gravel. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay, so let's talk Grand Prix. Um, when you first heard about the concept, what was your initial reaction? Um, I thought it was really cool um, just because I realized it would bring all these different competitors together. Um, I think it there's a lot of gravel races going on and I think we sort of see where there's a BWR going on one weekend and it's not like a fully stacked field or, um, there's another race going on somewhere else and it's not everyone goes to it. Um, so it sort of created this, um, elite series really of like all the 35 best racers are coming together to race here. Um, and that's pretty neat just because it, if you win one of those, it's a pretty legit win because all the best guys are there. Um, and I, it, I really like the variety of it, having some mountain bike races in there. All the gravel races are really different. Like um, Tusher and Unbound are com- two completely different beasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very diverse series. And I really like that because you can, you almost have to train for each one. Uh, Schwamigan, it's just under two hours. Yeah. Very punchy, sort of XC-esque effort. Yeah. And I did some VO2 efforts for it. Those are my only VO2 <laughs> intervals all nice. year. And it was like, oh, this is kind of fun to do some VO2 intervals. But <laughs> yeah. I, once Schwamigan passed, I was like, okay, no more VO2. <laughs> Back, <laughs> Back to, to the sweet tempo. spot and tempo. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really fun because it just, it really keeps the season refreshed all year. Like, we're just doing different stuff every weekend. And um, it's kind of cool seeing all the same guys, um, getting to know some of the different roadies, like, that I've sort of seen in their races or looked up to a little bit like Lawrence it was really fun getting to race with him yeah he was always one of my idols growing up I mean basically just because of his one picture where (laughs) half his face is torn off and he's still racing so I will go top 10 in the tour no matter what (laughs) yeah yeah that was pretty legendary um yeah so going into year two so you were third overall last year 
Huh. Um, you, I think you were one of the people that really kind of proved that it's like this series really rewards just like gutting it out in the long game. And even though you might have some bad luck, have some setbacks, um, like you can come, you can recover from that and still have a really high overall finish. Because mm-hmm. you, I think you finished really strong. Obviously, at Sea Otter, uh, second there, I think, and then yep. Unbound had a little bit of bad luck, but still like hung still in. Still got some pretty good points, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then had a bit bit of a off race at Crusher from probably doing Oregon Trail <laughs> and like racing a lot. Yep, that's legitimate. <laughs> and then. Um, what was after that? Leadville, like more Leadville. bad luck, another flat. Uh-huh. And then Schwam again. I think you had a pretty solid ride there in the mud. Yep. It's carnage for everybody. <laughs> um, and despite it, like like probably, I don't know, half the races went well. The other half, like something kind of went wrong and it came down to Big Sugar. And like you said, you just raced flat out, won, got loads of points and boom, you're third mm-hmm. overall. So I thought... That was one of the big things I came away with from the year was just that this series is going to be kind of a journey, like uh-huh. a little bit of a vision quest. Like there's no way that unless like Keegan 2022 happens again somehow for someone where like you have no issues, yep. which seems very unlikely. Um, it's going to be just a battle for totally. like seven months. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> we haven't really been exposed to that sort of competitive I guess opportunity that much like right obviously you've never been like battling for a world cup overall or anything like that Uh uh-huh um what did you take away from this past season in terms of just what it was like to gut out like a seven month points chase yeah i think um the way the lifetime series point structure is it sort of lends to you just like have to score as many points as you can consistently because like there's no, it's not exponentially based where if you win, you get a lot more points than second. It's just all about racking up as many points as you can each race. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like if you can just get third at every race, you're going to win the series. Yeah. But you could win two races or three races and have a bunch of bad ones and you're not going to do well in the series at all. Yeah. So I just sort of Which realized, is unusual for, yeah. like, I don't know of any other series and like, any discipline that does it that way like right. supercross definitely doesn't nascar f1 like no right. matter what Even it mountain is mountain bike world cups mountain bike world cup like there's always an exponential curve to the uh-huh. points so like in some ways i can see the cons to it but i also there's a lot of pros to it it really created some exciting racing um where if you were actually following the series you had to follow it all the way to the end because that's where everything really shook up for the final time and yep. there were some big changes both on the men and women's side, yeah. um, which created some exciting racing. I think for us, it's a bit stressful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm all for exciting racing, and um, so I, th- I think it's a cool point structure. Yeah. Um, the series, definitely, it's it almost feels like you're doing the seventh month-long stage race because you need everything to go right at the races in order to score as many points. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, like, a bit of a bummer to have some of them not go well, but you just have to, like, move on and hope to score more points at the next one really yeah um this year is going to be pretty interesting i think since we can have two races that we get a drop i think that's really going to change things quite a bit it's going to be hard to do the math throughout the year and see how you're like <laughs> truly standing within the mix yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah I, I expect big sugar to be sort of the same as this year i think there'll be 
a lot of changes up for grabs, like really second through uh, sixth or seventh in the men's field this year. Like everything could have changed that yeah. last day. Like I think you were you were in sixth, yeah, right, and mm-hmm. you you could have jumped all the way onto the podium too, right? Yeah, so, which is crazy. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think? Who are some people that you saw on the start list this year that caught your eye that weren't in it last year? Yeah, definitely. There's um, a lot of new faces, some of which um, I'm not familiar with them. I know there's some Australian guys which are supposed to be pretty strong from. Yeah, what Standish was saying. Yeah. Um, I think the big one's Matt Beers. He's an absolute powerhouse. Unbelievable, <laughs> um, unbelievably strong. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to have him over here because he he races hard. I think um, there's a lot of people that are gonna be surprised by what Matt can do. He's he's a beast. <laughs> Get ready to just be ridden off the wheel, people. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hold on for dear life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Um, Honestly, I haven't really looked at it super close. So I'd say Matt and the Australian contingent. I know there's a Swiss guy, Keegan was saying, the marathon national champ of Switzerland. Oh, damn. Is that who that was? Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, anyone who wins a national championship in Switzerland <laughs> on a mountain bike, pretty legit. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yep, pretty um, good. So we got him. Um, yeah, I can't really think of any others. Cool. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Yep. Um, and then also one of the other big changes going into this year is that there's a seventh round now. Um, <laughs> it was kind of funny. You and I were, when did they announce that? Day before yesterday, maybe? Yeah, earlier this week at some point. Yeah, and I mean, Nicole's here. She'll tell you. I was not fun to be around all day. <laughs> I actually, like, when the, when the announcement came up, um, I, I was supposed to just go do like a four hour fun endurance ride uh-huh. on my mountain bike. And I just rode to Mount Lemon, did tempo all the way up, like semi rage tempo all the way up to Buck <laughs> Springs, just shredded, got on the AZT, was still thinking about how annoyed I was and just went on this like five and a half hour soul ride to clear my head. That's awesome. Which now <laughs> sounds dumb because it's Trinidad is going to be an awesome race. But I think some of us were getting really excited about the idea of the series yeah, kind of getting diversified. Yeah, there was a bit of a rumor. Yeah. Pretty good rumor. Really good rumor. Um, that there was going to be a mountain bike race in Bentonville the weekend before Big Sugar. Yep. Um, and the Bentonville trails, they're awesome to race on. It's yeah, it's some proper mountain biking. Like You need to have, be a complete rider for that. And I do feel the mountain bike races in Lifetime kind of miss out on that to a certain degree. Um, so I think that's what a lot of us mountain bikers were really looking forward to. Like, uh, finally a race where we can like showcase our whole package. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, cause I mean, admittedly for me, at least a little bit is like ego because I like you, you want to feel like you can, I mean, racing is about showcasing abilities, right. At a right. basic level. And you want to be able to showcase your, everything your you're capable of. Yeah, yeah exactly. And this series is an amazing concept and i mean if you can't tell already russell and i are totally stoked on it but um with with the diversity like there's definitely room to even continue venturing out into like more diverse yep um selection of events and so i think we really got our hopes up when we heard that rumor totally because (laughs) it is funny to hear you know some of the folks coming from a road background comment on like yeah like the mountain bikers they were really able to like pull out some time on that descent it's like man 
if y'all knew like uh-huh. exactly <laughs> getting 12 seconds down power line is like not the thing right <laughs> like that's nice but like anyone yeah so <laughs> um so based on what i've heard like there will be like they're going to continue to kind of tinker with the setup and potentially add some different events like on on either end of the spectrum like even maybe a hundred percent road race which i personally would think is sick uh-huh and then having you know if that bentonville mountain bike race can happen at some point obviously that would be super cool too because i think that like as much as they can differentiate what's happening here in the states from the rest of what's happening in bike racing the more likely it is to be successful long term right um but yeah anyway i know we both exchanged a couple of texts where we were just like oh yeah seriously <laughs> but yeah no i think um i mean there's a lot of perks to trinidad too it's yeah less than two hours from my home so <laughs> yeah pretty stoked to just roll down there the day before do a gravel race i think trinidad's a bit of an undiscovered area too um i've heard a lot of good things about the gravel coming out of there mm-hmm. um just the whole community in general is putting a lot into cycling so that's cool um yeah it'll be neat to check it out and see what's down there yeah yeah bentonville admittedly does need to share the the love right. a little bit in that regard <laughs> yeah we go to bentonville a lot i think i <laughs> i mean you've been there you probably went there four or five times last year yeah i did three trips out there for races so yeah yeah we get to spend a fair bit of bentonville time so it's good to mix it up too totally <laughs> totally um, is there an event that you're looking forward to most next year uh, in the series? Definitely, yeah. I'd say, like, hands down, Unbound, I'm looking really? forward to the most. Damn. Yeah. Savage. Um, I don't know why. Like, a year ago, I wasn't even into the race. Like, I was going to say, oh, that's my throwaway race. But then you just get the bug for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the training for it. The two-week block Keegan and I did for it was probably one of the most fun training blocks I've ever done. Um, So there's a lot of things that I look forward to with that race, the training block, um, the equipment selection. Like I have to decide, do I want to race my Diverge STR there? The Crux, what tires? Um, It's just a fun race. And um, I think it's probably the hardest one in the series. So it'd be cool to win that one. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Definitely. Um, Yeah. And I asked you that today too, because you like, you have this increasing interest in obviously endurance racing but almost verging on like ultra endurance and then you also have this really significant love and interest for like true adventure riding and just adventuring period we'll we'll get into some of your uh your mountaineering stuff in a bit but um do you think at some point those those interests will kind of come together and you might go do some ultra distance uh fkts or even like short bike packing efforts or anything like that uh, definitely. Um, I've sort of been eyeing the Arizona trail 300 race, um, is sort of like try to get a sample of this, yeah. um, backcountry racing type stuff. Um, part of me is conflicted cause I used to have this rule. You're only racing when you have a number plate on. Oh, um, yeah. cause I, is that why you haven't done the white rim? Um, Kinda. no, honestly, I haven't ha- had the interest to do white rim maybe yeah. one day. Yeah. Um, but for me, like I wanted there to be separation. Um, yeah. I didn't want what I consider my hobby, which is adventuring in the mountains and having fun riding my mountain bike to become this thing that kind of consumes me. Interesting. And all of a sudden I'm racing through the mountains instead of enjoying the mountains. So I'm a bit conflicted with that, um, more personally than anything. Yeah. Um, but I do want to sample it. Like, um, the Arizona trail 103 appeals to me. So I think I'll give that one a crack at some point. It's just, it's also one of those things like I want to do my job, which is racing as best as I can. 
and it's really hard to fit an effort like that into our schedule. Yeah. Um, obviously, I want to do it when I'm fit. I'm not going to do it in the off season or something when I have time to do it. Yeah. Um, so like almost like this time of year is the time to do it. But then if I go do a 33-hour effort, <laughs> I'm going to have to take like two weeks off the bike probably or totally. uh, two weeks pretty chill. If I because I'm going to go if I would do it, I'm going to do it. Like yeah, I'm go bury myself out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have to do it twice and try to get it again. <laughs> um. So yeah, need to like figure out how that's all going to work. I mean, obviously Keegan did the 24 hour solo race yeah, um, and sort of proved that, okay, maybe you can do this dumb stuff and still do well racing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like the 24 hour race, he saw Myra in every lap he goes through. He never was malnourished out there really. <laughs> yeah. And like running out of water. And right. Everything else. Like yeah. the Arizona trail, like I think the section from the Mexican border to picket post where it finishes, you have basically two stops the whole way. Where you can get stuff and you only get those stops if you get there during the windows where they're open they're not open 24 hours so you kind of like have to time it right and um i haven't really dug into it super deep yet just kind of at the surface level um but yeah we'll see (laughs) uh do you know what that record is right now um i don't know the exact time it's right around 33 to 35 hours yeah um it's a big one i forget the guy's name who has it he was second to keegan it 24 hours of old Pueblo. Oh, Tim? Timon. Fish. Timon, yeah. 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 Nice. So. Cool. We'll see. One of these days. <laughs> but, but yeah, for now, I'm having a lot of fun just doing these adventures. Like, I did the Colorado Trail with some friends. Um, just bikepacking around here. Um, haven't really, like, pushed it yet, I guess, with the ultra-endurance stuff. But I do like going hard and far, so <laughs> it's only a matter of time, I feel like. Yeah, totally. Um, but I mean, to that point, you also mentioned when we were riding earlier that, uh, you think, I mean, having rediscovered sort of like a true passion for training, Mm -hmm. maybe even at a level that you've never had before, uh, you went from like, uh, maybe I'll do this another year or two to like, I want to do this for another decade or more maybe. Right. Yep. Totally. Yeah. That's cool. And with gravel too, like whether it's. Lawrence Tendam or, you know, a couple of the other guys they're they're showing. I mean, heck, even Todd, who you've uh-huh. been <laughs> friends with. Like we see that on the freaking Tuesday Night Worlds group ride almost yeah. weekly. Forty seven years old and yeah. throwing down. You can be well into your forties and especially events that are longer like this, like you can be competitive for a while. Right. I think that's when the old man strength kicks in. So it's almost like with this gravel stuff, we're just gonna keep getting better and better for a long time, which I think is really cool too. Like yeah. Um, our, Lauren said this year Unbound was the ride of his life. Like, I saw him. I saw him say that. And I yeah, was just like, and he was Damn. top ten in the Tour de France. So like, yeah. he's obviously confident that he's riding better than he was then. Yeah. And it's like he's old enough that in theory he should be kind of starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Like, huh? So I can keep doing this for a while and keep getting faster. Yeah. Like, I think once I start getting slower, racing's not going to be as fun. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to figure that timeline out <laughs> yeah that's when you'll gradually ease into yeah that's when you're going to shift into that for a <laughs> <laughs> nice um let's talk about the other stuff you get up into the mountain get into up in the mountains um because for as long as i've followed you it seems like you've spent um at least a few weeks every year bagging 14ers and um exploring on foot um can you talk a little bit about how you developed an interest in that and how you decided you wanted to try to knock all of them out 
Totally. Um, so yeah, I think about 10 years ago, um, good friend Kaylin and I started doing 14ers together. Um, we'd never really hiked any mountains or anything, but we're like, well, let's go try a 14er. We're, we live in Colorado and we've never done one. <laughs> um, so we did one. We did a pretty ambitious first um, 14er. We were just going to do one Missouri Peak. Um, did it and there were two more close by and was like, well, let's go see if we can do that one too. And um, went and added two more in. Ended up being like an 18 mile day and something like 8,000 feet of vert. Um, we were out there all day, but then like, <laughs> and like we're, we didn't have any hiking fitness, didn't do any hikes before that. So we were just kind of limping our way back down. But I don't know, I think we both got pretty hooked on um, hiking mountains that day. Um, those ones were all pretty basic, like class two, where you're just kind of following a trail, get to the top and have to do a little bit of route finding. But we slowly started shifting into doing some of the more like class five stuff where you're linking up these peaks via some pretty gnarly traverses and stuff. Um, and I don't know, hiking's very slow paced, but at the same time, you can kind of get this adrenaline rush just being up on that cliff, knowing that you have to like get yourself across the mountain. You're watching the weather, like lots of things can go wrong, but um, it's just a different kind of thrill. And I really enjoy that. Yeah, cool. So you you said you've done 52 of them? Yeah, 52 of the 58. Yeah, cool. So. And you have Weminuch left and what else? Yeah, the whole Weminuch, which is four 14ers. And then there's one on private property where you have to get a permit oh, for yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Calibra. Can you believe that someone owns a 14er? Yeah. Blows it's my wild. mind. <laughs> so crazy. So, um, and then Snowmass Peak. And it's kind of funny because like all of them I want to do a certain way. What um, do you mean? Like Snowmass. I want to hike it via the Snowmass, which is this okay. big snow field, which oh. is only there kind of towards the end of winter, early spring. So like June's the ideal time hmm. to do it, but we're always racing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Colibra, you can only hike it. They give you, there's a window of when you can hike it basically. And it doesn't really work well with the race season. Um, plus it's 150 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. And I want to finish in the Weminuch cause I just think it's the Weminuch is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think it'd be cool to finish on a backpacking trip. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of have this plan of how I want to finish them. I actually haven't done any 14ers in the last two years. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe I just need to get over that and just go knock them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Auckland style, just jamming it in the middle of the race season somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's 13ers too. I've been doing a lot of 13ers and stuff lately. Nice. Um, that's Those are cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the mountains have just always sort of been my escape, and um, I just find them awesome. So. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Why do you want to do, uh, you said it's, is it snow mass that you said? Snow mass. Why do you want to do that one? Like up the snow slope? Um, just cause that's kind of like the classic okay. way to do it. I haven't done much mountaineering where you need crampons and on snow stuff and where you're sliding back down on with an ice picks and stuff. So <laughs> that just sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to do it that way. It's also not like a super, gnarly one to do that type of stuff so a good place to start learning how to do it um obviously watch some youtube videos and go with someone who knows what they're doing but um yeah just have my way i want to do it i guess yeah yeah cool um all right so one other thing that i th i think is really interesting that you have going on that i don't i don't think probably that many people know about um is you're sort of like a you're turning into a real estate mogul <laughs> of sorts um <laughs> So you born and raised in Colorado Springs, right? Uh-huh. And at some point, 
obviously you bought your first house, presumably in the Springs. Yep. Um, and then we're kind of chatting today about how, you know, you, you sort of started to recognize like the, um, how this career doesn't necessarily always have guarantees. And, um, you know, even when you're a, a really solid racer that's had, um, a bunch of successful years under your belt, um, it can be a somewhat unstable career depending on health or luck or the industry, like whatever totally. it is. Um, and so you started kind of looking around for ways to create a little bit of financial security for yourself and a bit of a foundation or, or safety net. Uh-huh. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how you develop this interest in, in, you know, acquiring some other properties and what it's like to like maintain Airbnbs <laughs> and, and that whole like side hustle? Definitely. Yeah. So my, Parents, um, they have a couple rentals in Colorado Springs as well, um, short-term rentals. And I saw how well they were doing with it. And sort of like I was in the position where I was about ready to buy my first house. Um, But I also wasn't making a ton of money racing my bike at the time. Um, I realized how quick contracts come and go. And I was just a little nervous to have a $1,000 a month mortgage. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I, the first, I told myself the first house you buy, it needs to have an investment property on it, whether that's a guest house or a garage with a loft or something that can help you like cover that expense in case you do lose your contract. And then you're not stressing out about making a mortgage, trying to get all your training. Um, so I was lucky enough to find, um, a property that had two, um, cottages on it basically. Um, so I bought that and started renting it out pretty much right away. Um, and was lucky enough that they did pretty well. And a couple of years later, basically took what I was making from those properties and bought another property in Colorado Springs. Um, this was right when short-term rental permits were um, not being allowed anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a time crunch really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought a property, sort of when I, anytime I buy a property, it has to have two units on it just cause you're getting two for the price of one in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this one didn't have two. Um, but I realized that I need to get that short-term rental permit because that's, I think where the bread and butter is. Um, so I bought this property, got two short-term rentals for it. And then COVID came around, which was nice. Cause it gave me enough time to build a garage with an apartment above it, which was my original plan when I brought it. And then boom, all of a sudden I had these two rental properties on there. Um, I live in one of them when I'm home in Colorado Springs, that's my primary residence. Um, but then it has the garage and loft in the back. And here in Tucson, um, I was able to buy another place that sort of has the same um, program. So um, I feel pretty lucky with it. Like real estate is definitely a bit of a gamble. You're putting a lot of money on the line, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I do my homework too. like put a lot of research into it, figure out like Tucson. I was pretty nervous for because it was a unfamiliar market like Colorado Springs. I was born and raised there. I know where to buy a house. Yeah, I know what neighborhoods do well. Mm-hmm. I know sort of when there's busy times, when there's going to be down times, but Tucson was just like, I have no idea what happens down there, even though <laughs> I've been coming here a bunch. Yeah. I was only here January through March. So like you see Tucson for three months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like summers, obviously, like not many people want to be in Tucson in the summers. So like that was a bit of a risk, but um, luckily there's enough students and stuff that'll stay for the summers or people working or building a house or something that yeah, it does pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. How much time does it take to manage those properties? Like just week to week? Um, it fluctuates quite a bit. Um, some weeks are busier than others. Like in Colorado Springs, when I have um, 
three places going and during the summer, which is high season, and there's turnovers pretty much like six turnovers per week. It's a Dang. lot more to manage with like the cleaners and stuff. Yeah. Really, that's it is just communication, like coordinating with cleaners, sending check-in information. Um, so it's not a lot of work, and it's I can do it in my recovery legs after <laughs> a ride or something. So yeah. um, it's pretty chill. Um, in general, I'd say probably somewhere from two to five hours a week. Dang, um, doing different bad. management type stuff. Um, but then there's also the other side where like all these properties I've pretty much bought and they've needed a lot of work initially, whether that's um, Tucson didn't need a lot of work, but it needed furnishing and stuff, which um, believe it or not, takes like two weeks to get everything in. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to train and you're a little lazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it takes some time, but um, lots of house projects too. The first ones I bought, um, cause I didn't really have a ton of money saved up. So just kind of bought a fixer upper and just um, turned them into something, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, I mean, it, it makes total sense and it's, um, it's interesting to watch different people kind of navigate this career cause it's, Definitely. it is super unusual and people go about it in in different ways. But, um, like if you're smart with it, like you can carve out a pretty cool future for yourself and mm -hmm. it's, it's cool how you, I mean, it makes sense just personality wise, but kind of the same like thoughtfulness that it seems like you take to like equipment selection and all that sort of thing with your racing. Like you, you've taken to the, the other aspects to make sure that it's actually sustainable. Right. Even with the <laughs> ebbs and flows of like the inevitable ebbs and flows of, yeah. of racing. So, and like really with it, I just really wanted to start to build like this kind of passive income source, um, yeah. sort of in the background to allow me to like, when I'm done racing and I'm not getting paid to race my bike that I have like sort of something going on and, um, can keep doing these adventures and riding my bike a bunch like i'm not the type of person i don't really want a real job ever yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um like i'll always do something like really my dream job is like to coach mountain bikes in crested butte oh uh, cool so like i want to be able to do like passion and stuff like that and as opposed to having to do something that is really just needed to provide me income yeah yeah i gotcha yeah something you actually care about right for sure it makes sense um Cool, man. Well, one of the last things I wanted to touch on that you just mentioned today, um, kind of like we were saying, you went through, well, I guess kind of like all of us over the last few years, we've gone through some transition in our careers. Uh -huh. um, some people, you know, have decided they're not into it. Others have been really stoked on it and are almost getting like a, having like a little career renaissance in a way, right. just in terms of motivation and <laughs> like a um, second wind. Kind of totally. Yeah. yeah. And we were kind of talking today about how it's for you and I, at least it's come at a really good time, you know, being in your late twenties, early thirties, when you're in the prime of your career, it's been, mm -hmm. it, it's quite, um, it, it's just lucky timing in a lot of ways. Totally. Um, but one of the other ways that you're kind of like going through some transition right now is it sounds like you just started with a new coach. Uh -huh. Um, and as much as you're willing to, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about that process. Cause I, two weeks ago just went through that too. Um, and it's really intimidating. Uh -huh. Um, I think it, not a ton of people talk about that athlete coach relationship publicly just cause like, I don't know, there's not like that much that you'd share typically, right? but it's, um, it's so integral. Like it's obviously, and that's yeah, one of the most important pieces of our job, really. Totally. And unlike, uh, sponsors or events or even where you race, 
there's typically very little turnover. Like those relationships are usually really long. Uh huh. So for me, it was, I've been with the same coach for 14 years. So, Dang. um, getting on the phone and like having that conversation with him and being like, you know, I'm going to try something new was uh-huh. unbelievably intimidating yep. and hard. Totally. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that process for you the last uh-huh. couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think as we sort of talked about earlier, I'm really enjoying all the change that's kind of happening right now. And, um, one of the things I realized is I'm just really enjoying new training as well. Um, I jumped into a lot of different training blocks with different people last year. Um, and just sort of found that like different workouts and different stimulus are really motivating to me. Um, trying new things like, um, once you've been with a coach for a while, you kind of have the workouts that work for you and you end up, um, just going back to those cause you know, they work. Um, and I really, this year just, um, wanted to change things up quite a bit. Um, I want to win more races. And I think if you want to win more, you need to, you need to change something. Yeah. Like, um, I've been with my past coach, Jim Lehman for 11 or 12 years. Um, and I think we worked really well together. Um, he was in Colorado Springs, which was really helpful. He could take me out motor pacing. Um, so we had a really good relationship and yeah, it's definitely once you sort of make that decision that, uh, I think I want to change things up. It's a hard phone call to make. And you're also like second guessing yourself a little bit. Like, is this the 100%. right decision? Yeah. Um, because you I start thinking about like, Oh, like that one race that went super well, that was pretty sweet. And that person did play a role in that. Yeah. Like we've had a lot of great success together. Um, and I think this past season was probably one of my best seasons ever. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit like, well, you just had your best season ever. Why do you want to change coaches? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I just sort of need that change to keep motivated and keep, um, excited with my training. Um, and yeah, switching coaches, we'll see how that, if that works out. (laughs) Yeah. Cool, man. Um, well, best of luck. Really excited to be out there again with you. Today was super fun. Um, but in kind of shockingly soon, we're going to be putting number plates on. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night. Like, it's only six weeks till race season, yeah. pretty much, for if you're doing BWR Scottsdale. Yeah. Um, maybe it's seven weeks. But either way, yeah, it's coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Pretty exciting. Totally. Cool, man. Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Russell, getting to know him a bit more. If you'd like to see uh, some video footage from the ride we did together, uh, a bit of the hiking we did down that wash he talked about, some of the gnarlier drop bar shredding, underbiking, you can go to The Adventure Stash on Instagram. Uh, We did change the name. It used to be Stash House Productions, but we realized no one really knows what Stash House Productions is. That's the production company that all of this is housed under, but the Adventure Stash is what people know. So we just decided to make it easier. So it's at the Adventure Stash on Instagram, and we've put together some little video clips and reels and all that sort of thing, both from the interview and then also from the ride that Russell and I did. So if you'd like to go get a little visual aspect to go along with this audio, you can do that at The Adventure Stash on Instagram. I want to say a big thank you to One Up USA for supporting today's episode. One Up makes the best bike racks in the world, and we've come to rely on ours like crazy. We went for the Super Duty Double Rack, which is super strong, beautiful aluminum construction, lightweight, but has a really significant payload capacity, up to 75 pounds per bike spot. You can expand it to a quad. And still get 50 pounds per bike spot, which is obviously still plenty 
for e-bikes. And this rack is just awesome for shuttling, awesome for getting to the trailhead, awesome for road trips. I use it uh, during race weekends when we're doing pre-riding missions, really versatile, so easy to fold up and get out of the way or just pull it all the way off the hitch rack. Uh, and OneUp has rack options for any and all vehicle types. They come with free shipping on orders over 550 bucks. They come with a lifetime warranty, and they're 100% made in America. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to oneup-usa.com. That's the number one up-usa.com. I want to say a big thank you to Lily McKelvin for editing and producing each and every one of these shows. A big thank you to all of y'all for listening, and we will catch you next week.